we experience that love, we're never the same. So, Lord, I just ask today, God, that you would show your love to us. If somebody in this room has never experienced your love, God, let them feel it and show them to them in a mighty way. We can be changed forever, God. We love you. We do this for your name, for your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's clap for the love of God today in our lives. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead and so thankful for you being here in our third service. Let's see. Am I on, JJ? Testing. Am I on? You guys hear me okay? All right. Good deal. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to the third service in this holiday week. And uh, we welcome you and, and uh, appreciate uh, Jeremiah leading us today. We appreciate uh, him. Give him another round of applause in Danny's absence. And I love the songs that we sang about today as I was just sitting there listening and I listened in each of the services and sang along with you. And boy, you guys were singing great in this service, by the way. And uh, you know what I love about them? They're all about a relationship with God. These songs that we just are singing are about a relationship with God. And I really want to talk to you about that today and just how important that is for us to shine with the love of Christ in our lives. And so, you know, how many of you guys were able to join us last week for our family fun Christmas? Raise your hands. Everybody joining? Okay, many of you are here. Wasn't that a great service? I mean, what an incredible time we had last week. And we did have a blast. And that, as I said last week, I'll say it again. That's one thing I really love about our church is that we know how to have a good time. We know how to have a lot of fun, and I just enjoyed so much just hanging out with you guys last week and experiencing the great music that we had, and uh, Johnny Holiday being here with us, and our worship team, and our choir that God has blessed us with. Thank you if you guys serve in that area. Thank you to those of you who made the breakfast for us. That was awesome, too. We appreciate those of you who got up here early to do that. It was just an incredible experience for us just to to worship together and just enjoy a good time, a fun family Christmas, and you know, I hope you had a wonderful Christmas experience. I, I got to spend some great time with my family. I did need to spend a little bit of, the ret- of time just in recovery, just from seeing Pastor Randy in yellow tights. I needed a few days to recover from that. Some of you may be in the same boat. I mean, I needed a little recovery time. I know that our, our pastoral counseling time went way up this week, and I'm thinking those things are connected in some kind of way, possibly, I don't know. But, um, you know, I love being a part of a church that knows how to have fun. And I love being a part of a staff that loves each other, and we have a good time together. We always do. We always love to, to laugh together. We laugh a lot in our staff meetings. We have a good time, and it's just it's indicative of what Christ, I think, is doing in our church. It's indicative of what's happening in the lives of the believers here at EVC. And, you know, we've been in a series called Shine. And we've been working our way through this book of Philippians. And I want to urge you to go ahead and turn there with me to, to chapter 3. We're now turning into chapter 3. We're, we're in the home stretch. And uh, we've been looking in this great practical little book. And just let me give you a little bit of a quick review um, about what this series has been about. And really just kind of a quick, quick review of what the, the book is about. Because it's driven by this great little letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi. And so what we learned and we asked in the first week is this all-important question is this, is in light of all the stuff that's when our world seems like it's falling out of and spinning out of control and falling apart all around us, whether it's in our culture, in our society, whether it's here in America or just all over the world where it seems like it's falling apart, or whether it's just in your own personal life and things that are happening in your life. And maybe for some of you, 2014 has been the roughest year you've ever experienced in your life. 
And maybe many of you are ready for a new year. You're ready for a new opportunity. And, and you know, and, and you're ready for that fresh opportunity. But the question that we've been asking in this series is whenever life does seem to be spinning out of control and when life does seem to be falling apart, is it even a possibility to have a joy and a peace in our lives that, that is different than what the wor- rest of the world has when they go through the same kind of stuff? Is it even a possibility? And many of you, whenever, whenever I pose that question, you vocalize that verbally even in week one, and you're still doing that. You know it because you've experienced it. You know what that peace is in your life. And it's not that, that things are easy. It's not that the circumstances are different because you're still going through the same kinds of things. It's just there's something that's different that's going on in your life. You have something different in your life that causes you to shine brightly for Christ. It causes you to look different than the rest of the world. It makes you different in that sense. And so we asked, is it even possible? Is it possible to shine? And, and, and we talked about that Paul talks about this in this book. It's a, it's a great theme of this book is that there is a joy. In week one, we talked about kind of a theology of joy and how joy is so much different than just happiness. And happiness is whatever everybody's pursuing. It's what we all want in our lives, and we try to find it in different ways, and we're pursuing it in different kinds of ways, and, but it seems like it's just so elusive. And, and so what we really want in our lives is something that transcends happiness. It's something that's deeper than that, and we distinguish between the two in week one. We won't go back into that, but we just kind of talked about that, okay? Paul would talk about, about some things that will rob you of joy in your life, and he talks about how plans fail us. For many of you this year, you didn't expect some of the things that happened in 2014 to happen. And maybe your plans just kind of wrecked you a little bit, and it's been difficult to recover from some of the things that you've experienced. Plans, if, if, if we're not careful, whenever they don't work out, can rob us of our joy. Also, Paul would talk about people that when relationships aren't right, that those are, that's one of the most common joy robbers. And maybe you experienced that in this Christmas season is maybe you were forced to being with family and maybe you don't get along with some of them and it's difficult and, and, and people can rob us of joy. And Paul talked about that in this book. And also our possessions would fail us. And Paul would talk about things not lasting and how he lost everything for the cause of Christ. And how if, if all of our hope is in our stuff, then we're going to be pretty disappointed and we're not going to have that joy in our life. And then Paul also talks about circumstances and how our circumstances ebb and flow and how they, they're changing, ever-changing and shifting. And, and if you're counting upon perfect circumstances to actually be the catalyst for you being joyful in your life, what Paul is saying is you're barking up the wrong tree. Because there's got to be something that transcends all of that. There has to be something that's deeper. Paul, you know, in chapter 1, he begins to talk about his own difficulties that he was facing in chapter 1. We know this, and he talks about his plans kind of falling apart and people kind of letting him down and here and there. We know that Paul had this great dream to go to Rome to be a preacher and to preach the gospel there. What did he end up being? A prisoner. So he went from being a preacher to a prisoner. He's in chains for the gospel, okay? And he's there to proclaim Christ, but it's in a different kind of way than he ever imagined. He tells us now, and he has this incredible perspective, though. 
He tells us that these chains that are actually are binding him up, that God is actually using those things. And the, remember the language is to clear the underbrush for the gospel to come in. It's the word to advance the gospel. It's clearing the underbrush to come in so that the gospel would take root with a number of people. And Paul is saying that many people's lives are being changed because Paul was able to advance the gospel even in chains. So what Paul would say in the first chapter is that, yes, there is even joy to be found even whenever the circumstances aren't ideal. And you see, you know what's awesome about that is whenever it comes from somebody like Paul who was going through what he was going through, there's so much more credibility coming from someone like Paul than just maybe a preacher up here trying to say, look, you can have joy in your life even when you go through tough stuff. Because some of you are going, you have no idea what I'm going through. And you're right, I don't. I have no idea and I haven't experienced what many of you have experienced. Some of you have experienced some severe and, and difficult things in your life that I could never understand. But the Apostle Paul was going through some of the most difficult things. And if you know anything about his life, went through all kinds of things that were just, inc- just immense suffering that Paul went through. And yet Paul would still say, you can have joy. There's credibility there. There's credibility with that. Then in chapter 2, he's going to begin to lay out for them how these Christians can begin to cultivate this joy that they can have in their life. Because he's going to say, rejoice in the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. And he's going to begin to talk about how to cultivate what God has worked in their life. This salvation that he's made possible by grace through faith. And he's going to say, now you're going to begin to work this out in your life. What God has worked in, you begin to work out. And he's going to talk about these characteristics and some things that you can begin to practically do that cultivate, cultivates joy. He talks about humility. He's going to talk about unity. He's going to talk about serving others. And in essence, what Paul is talking about here is when people focus so much completely on themselves, what he's saying is when you focus all on yourself, then you're going to find your joy is going to be out out the door. It's not that you minimize your problems, but what Paul is going to say is that be more like Christ in in this manner. You'll find that you'll be more joyful when you're serving people. What Paul would say is that, in essence, he would say is that you'll never find a person who is a selfish, self-absorbed person who's going to be joyful. Instead, they're all going to be completely focused and, and just fixed upon their own problems and their own. But when you start serving others and you're humble with others and, and, and you know, and God's doing this in your life and you're partnering with him in that capacity, he talks about this. It's like mining this great gift of joy. We mine it out, this gold mine of joy that he's made possible through the salvation that we have. And you know what Paul says? He talks about there's nothing that snuffs our light out as a Christian more than whenever we are chronic complainers. Do you remember what he said? Do all things without complaining. He's, he says, do everything without complaining. And remember we said, well, that can kind of annoy you a little bit if you've had a rough day, whenever you read a verse like that. But what he's going to say is that when it, whenever we respond to everything else in the same way that the rest of the world responds, he's saying, you're not any different. But when you choose not to complain and instead, it's not that you're being inauthentic. It's not that you're not being real. But, but if you're constantly griping and whining and all of this about stuff that's going on in your life, this man who is in prison for the gospel is encouraging believers. He's saying, do all things without complaining. And the word actually, we learned it's murmuring. And it's the same word that, 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 
that, that was used in the book of Exodus when the Israelites were in the desert. And God had delivered them and had done all of this great stuff in their life. And they were ungrateful to God. And, and it's that same word. He's saying, do everything without complaining. And he says, whenever you complain and, and you're whining all the time, he said, there's nothing that snuffs your light out. You're not shining brightly for Christ. But when you handle things differently because of God's peace and joy that's in your life, he's saying that's when you shine brightest in a dark and messed up world. So that's a bit of a recap, all right? Let's move into chapter three. So look with me in chapter three, and we'll get into it here in just a second. A lot of you said a few weeks ago, I asked this question, are you ready for the new year? It's been a rough year for a lot of people, and a lot of you are like, I am ready ready for a new year, right? Okay. A lot of hands went up and, and you know, and again, it's been a tough year for, for a number of you. And you know, the new year always kind of makes us feel like we have this great opportunity for a fresh start. And it's all, it's almost like there's kind of a little bit of a hope that's attached to this, this calendar flipping over. And now we're moving into 2015. And a lot of people kind of feel that kind of hope in that. But here's the thing that I really felt like God wanted me to say to you about that today. Okay. God's word says this, and I want you to hear this. God's mercies are made new to you and to me every single day. Amen. You don't have to wait till January 1st. God's mercies and God's opportunity for a fresh start with him in all kinds of different ways are made available to you and to me every single day. And here's the other thing, and I'm not trying to like be a discourager for you, but, but here's the thing is that you know this. Some of you going from 2013 into 2014 never expected some of the things that you'd be going through this year. And, and here is the fact of the matter is just because there's a flip of the calendar date doesn't necessarily mean that your problems are going to automatically disappear, right? In some cases, and again, I don't want to scare you or alarm you or whatever, but we just know that this is the fact of the matter. We have no control over what's going to happen to us in this upcoming year. We don't have control over things that happen to us. But what have we been learning through this, through this great book of Philippians? We don't have control over the things that happen to us and our circumstances that happen to us. But we do have control over our perspective and our response to those things. So what if this year, the hope that is attached to the new year for you is not about, I'm just hoping that maybe it's just going to be a new set of circumstances that are going to be better. And that's okay, all right? I hope that things will be better for you. But the bottom line is, is what if they're not? There's a squeaking going on out there that's driving me nuts. Well, some, Dustin, will you please be sure that the squeak goes into the children's area? I'm like, is there a mouse up here? What is going on? Okay, thank you, Pastor Dustin. I'm sorry. I'm ADD. All right. Sorry. All right. So what if going into this upcoming year and was that complaining? I'm sorry. All right. What if going into this upcoming year, what if, what if going into the upcoming year, it wasn't so much about the things changing and your circumstances changing, but what if this upcoming year was more about, what if it was about you being different in the midst of, of the circumstances. You see what I'm saying? And that's really what Paul gets at in this. Just because the date flips doesn't mean everything's just automatically going to be different for you. You'll probably find out that January 1 is going to be very much like December 31st. All right? 
But here's the thing. You don't have to wait till January 1 for God to begin, to doing, to, to begin doing something new in your heart in the, in the manner in which you deal with some things. And, and your responses can be different. My response can be different. It needs to be different. So what we'll learn from this practical, intense book is just this, is that Paul is going to begin to talk about the source of where the joy actually comes from. That's what we really need to know. Where is it that we find that joy? How do we begin to mine that out in our lives? And and what we're going to find is that it's not going to come through a lot of religious activity. In fact, it's going to come from the complete opposite thing that, that, that we might think we would find it in. It's going to come, though, through a personal relationship that's established with Jesus Christ. It's going to come by you growing deeper in your personal relationship with God. I got to tell you again, I had a blast in last week's church service. I had a blast in our church service, and, and I, love, I love being a part of our church. And, and I was laughing to myself really leading up to the church service because I was knowing what was coming when Danny kind of shared his vision for some of the things we'd be doing. And we, of course, were really laughing whenever we knew that, that uh, we were going to be able to get a Buddy the Elf costume. I mean, we were laughing. We were laughing a lot about this in our staff meetings. And I was laughing a lot to myself because here's the thing. I grew up in, in, and went to a few churches whenever I was a kid that anything like that would not have worked. I'm just saying, okay? And it would have been almost in a lot of ways really been frowned upon and just you can't do stuff like that in church. And, and I'm not saying that all the people that were in the churches that I grew up in were like that. But I'm saying that there was a lot of legalism. There was a lot of stuff that was going on that really just really made church just really not very fun. It wasn't a very fun place to be. And so I was laughing to myself thinking, man, what we, what we would often do around here at EBC um, wouldn't fly in some of the churches that I grew up in. It just wouldn't have worked, you know. And, and here's something I want to say, and I'm not saying this about all the people that I grew up in church with, but here's what I have discovered, that some of the grouchiest and grumpiest and most sour people I have ever been around in my life are churchy kind of people. I'm just saying it, all right? I'm telling you, I've been around some of the most sour individuals that are, that are churchy people that are supposed to be in a walking, thriving relationship with God that's supposed to make them different and supposed to make me want what they have in their life. And let me tell you, people see that and they're like, no, thank you, all right? And some of the grouchiest people I've been around and joy, most joyless people are people who are kind of churchy, kind of hyper-religious kinds of individuals. So I was kind of laughing to myself thinking, man, we pastors here at EBC, we wouldn't last very long at some of these churches. We'd either get fired or we'd quit pretty quick. It just wouldn't mesh, okay? Because that's not our mindset. We love to have a good time serving the Lord. And we do it in a good, clean kind of way, you know? And, and the other thing I was laughing about and laughing maniacally to myself as I was driving back because I had to go with Danny to go get all these costumes and we drove down to Houston to get them. We borrowed them from First Baptist Church of Houston and they very graciously let us borrow all their stuff, okay? Because they were taking a, a year off for their, their Christmas pageant thing. And when I saw the Buddy the Elf suit, I was laughing maniacally to myself driving back. I couldn't drive back fast enough knowing who was going to be wearing it. I couldn't wait. And I was like, I have, I have blackmail material from here on out. 
I mean, it was, there he is in the back, all right? I couldn't wait. I was just driving back, okay? I couldn't wait, okay? But seriously, here's the deal. I love our church. I love our pastors. I love our staff. I love what God's doing here. You know what else I love about our church? I love that it's filled with a lot of brand new Christians, a lot of people that are still trying to figure it out and still they're still seeking the Lord and they want to know Christ. And I love that it's filled with a lot of brand new Christians. I love that. And, and you know, a lot of times there, it can get kind of messy because of that. Because here's the deal. We're broken. We're messed up. We call ourselves a church of the broken and the messed up. And, you know, and we remember that that's what this is supposed to be about is reaching people with the gospel message of Christ and letting Christ change their lives. You know what I love about brand new Christians, and I love being around them, uh, their, their energy. I love that they are, they are just, it's still so fresh in their hearts that they have been forgiven by Jesus Christ. And that he's made them brand new, and he's given them hope, and they're on fire for Christ. And they still see God at work in all kinds of ways. And, you know, I love that. I love being a part of church where you see that happen and, you know, and they're inviting people left and right to church because they're excited. And that's one of the things I love about EBC. We've not had to advertise in the last, about the last seven years, we've not advertised. And we've been growing exponentially this year because people have been inviting other people. And I love that that's, that that's happening because people are inviting and saying, we want you to come and see and hear what God is doing in our lives. And, and they're fired up and they're inviting people. And, and then some maybe quote unquote mature Christian comes along and he says, oh, don't worry. That'll wear off. You know, I used to be that excited too. Pretty soon you'll be good and miserable like me, you know, or maybe they don't exactly say it like that. But the fact of the matter is, they may not say it, but a lot of times there can be a negative influence that happens that kind of throws a big wet blanket on the fire of God that's in the heart of a new believer who's still just fired up about Jesus forgiving them and giving them a brand new start. And I really hate to say this, but I think it's true and that it's greatly impacted the, and, and has influenced, has it had a horrible influence upon the unchurched in America today and that many Christians in many churches, and I'm not saying all, um, there are a lot of great churches out there that love the Lord, but here's the, in many churches, there's not a lot of joy. There's not a lot of laughter. There's not excitement. Nobody's smiling. In a lot of churches, it just feels dead. It feels like people are just kind of going through motions and you don't see a lot of life. And, and you know what I loved? I loved seeing a lot of people laughing last week. I love seeing people, whether it's laughing at us or laughing with us, I just love that people are smiling and laughing and having a good time. And I got to meet one of your guests last week that one of you brought to our service. And, and, uh, and, and he comes from, and I got to talking with him, he comes from a very traditional denomination, a very traditional, I won't say what it is, but a very traditional church. And I was thinking when he told me that, I was thinking this is going to be an interesting conversation, all right? But he said to me, you know what he said? He said, I had a blast. He said, that's the most fun I've ever had in church. And I loved hearing that. 
And he said this. He said, it's very much unlike what I'm used to. And I said, well, yeah. And, uh, but he said, I had a blast. I met another guest while they were eating biscuits and gravy over across the room. And they were sitting there, and I was talking to them. And she looked up at me as we were talking, and she said, she said this was great. This is what a Christmas service should be like. It should be a party, right? And she was saying that. And I love that. I loved hearing that. I loved, I loved getting feedback from many of you uh, saying on Facebook that you love your church and that you love what God is doing. And, you know, I loved hearing about that. Churches should be fun places. Amen? Churches should be filled with people that are filled with joy in their hearts. And I'm not talking about a big, fake, plastic smile, but I'm talking about something that's genuine, something that's real, something that transcends our circumstances, and it's real in our hearts. That's what shines brightly, right? And that's what Paul would talk about. He'd say that, that whenever you instead, whenever you are living in that manner and that joy is in your life, that that, that preaches the gospel so powerfully in your life and well, some might be tempted to think, well, I guess if I need more joy, then what I really need to do is I need to be more religious. I need to do more religious activities. Maybe I need to sit in more church services. Or maybe I, if I'm going to be more joyful, I need more religious activity. And I think what you'll see very clearly in chapter 3 is that Paul is going to say that's the exact opposite of what you need in your life. What you need is you need a thriving relationship with God. Paul's going to really get into this. A lot of times, he, Paul's not going to tell these Philippian believers, he's not going to say, what I need you to do, if you want to have this joy in your life, you're going to need to light more candles, okay? If you really want to have joy, you're going to need to sit in more church services. You're, need to, you're going to need to give more. You're going to need to do this. You're going to need to go through all. That's going to automatically make you a joyful person. Paul's not going to say anything like that. In fact, he's going to say something. He's going to tell these new Christians really how to protect their joy. And, and I think it's a lesson for us. You have to safeguard your joy. You have to protect it. You have to put some things in place and, and recognize there are some things that will attempt to rob you of your joy. And Paul's going to really get into this here. He's going to tell them and remind them that true joy comes alive in our hearts whenever we get back to the place of realizing this very fact of just how much Jesus really loves us. That when we actually can just internalize how much I'm already loved and how much I'm already accepted and that Christ has already proved that and he's already done everything for me, there's something that begins to grow in my heart. It comes out and it's a joy and it's a peace and it's something different and it's attractive to people around me who don't have it yet. Paul's going to say, you don't need more religious activity. He's going to say, let me begin to tell you about cultivating a relationship with Christ. It's all about what he's done for you already. Your joy's not found in becoming a stuffy, churchy person. It's going to be found in something that transcends this. Look at what he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, okay? Paul's really going to start talking about the source and I want you to contemplate that in your own life. The source of joy. Where do you find it? Look what he says, all right? And think about this going into the new year, okay? Whatever happens. That's kind of an interesting way of thinking about this next year, right? Another way it translates is finally, all right? Whatever happens, he says, my dear brothers and sisters, what does he tell us to do? I want you to read it with me out loud. Say it with me. What are we to do? Rejoice in the Lord. 
over again. He says it 16 times in this four-chapter little letter. Do you think he's trying to drive a point home? He says it over and over again. He speaks about it over and over. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. And and then he says this in true preacher fashion. I never get tired of telling you these things. That sounds like a preacher, right? And now I do it. Why is he doing it? Why is he teaching us these things? To do what? Safeguard your faith. To protect your faith. To protect your joy. I'm going to give you some things, he says, to safeguard your faith. And and here is how you safeguard your joy. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing Paul's really going to focus in on in safeguarding your joy is we must resist the urge for legalism. There's like this urge or this pull that a lot of times happens in Christians to start becoming oftentimes more legalistic. And that happens where we start becoming this, there's this urge to be legalistic in our faith. And, and, and a lot of times we hear what we call that as we call it backloading the gospel, okay? Now there's what's called frontloading the gospel. And what frontloading the gospel means is we say, well, you can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but here's what you must do first. You must do this, this, this this, 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 and there's a big long list. That's called front-loading the gospel, okay? Back-loading the gospel is saying, oh, yes, we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, but here's the deal. You got to do this, 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 and this in order to stay saved, okay? That's called back-loading the gospel. There's front-loading the gospel and back-loading the gospel. And front-loading the gospel, what we in essence are saying to Christians is this, is that you, or or to people who aren't Christians yet, is that you've got to get your life cleaned up first before you ever come to Jesus Christ. Does that sound right to you? No, we say what? Come to Jesus as you are. You believe on him in faith and let Jesus do the work in, in cleaning up your life, right? Let Jesus go to work in your life as you just fall in love with Christ and Christ will begin to speak into your life and the Holy Spirit will bring conviction in your life and and you'll find that God will begin doing a work in you and then you start working out your salvation in faith. You don't work out your salvation to gain salvation. You're working out what God has already done in you. That's in chapter 2, verse 13, right? Okay, so, so we add this, we often backload the gospel and we add the fine print that nobody reads and we say, well, to be saved means you really have to do this and you really have to keep this set of religious rules and you really have to, you know, keep up with this person who's like this spiritual giant over here. You got to be more like this. And, and so our faith in Christ becomes this big list of do's and don'ts. And it becomes driven by what we are supposed to do and what we shouldn't do, which leads us into very legalistic behaviors. And it doesn't mean that there are things that we should and shouldn't do. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean that we live with license when it comes to God's grace. It just says that there's a motive that's different in your heart whenever you've actualized God's grace in your life. And and, and so, but when you become legalistic, it leads to this legalistic behavior, which leads to legalistic kind of oppression rather than freedoms, which in essence turns our walk with Christ into more of a drudgery than anything else. And it happens to Christians all the time. And their walk with Christ becomes a drudgery rather than being in love with what Christ has done and who he is. And we kind of forget all that. You know, the the word, the root word for religion, actually, if you begin to really kind of do the etymology of that word, you'll find that that the root word really means bondage. You get down to it and it's about, and what did Jesus come? He came to set us free. 
He came to set us free, okay? And, um, and legalism, in essence, is this. It's when we, seek to, when we seek to substitute rules to follow instead of a relationship that's already been established with a person of Jesus. It's substituting rules for relationship. That's what legalism is. It's having the mindset that we are accepted or we are more accepted by God based upon our performance of obeying a set of rules rather than us being made right with Jesus Christ based upon what he has already done for us on the cross, right? And that's, that's what happens a lot of times. And all right, you guys know, most of you who know me, you know about three years ago I became an avid runner. And whenever I'm in on something like that, some of you are probably tired of hearing me talk about it. Whenever I'm in, though, I'm in on it. And whenever I'm in on doing something like that, you know, so I went and I got the shoes and I got the running belt and I got the reflective running clothes to keep people from running me over and church members from running me down, right, okay? And, uh, but, but, and here's the deal. I started reading everything I could read about running. I wanted to know all of the technical stuff about it. Uh, when I'm in on it, I'm in on it. I got a GPS watch and I love that it records all my runs and I can compare myself with the rest of the Nike community. I love that. And I'm like, I'm kicking the rest of the Nike community down, boy. You know, and I get competitive like that, okay? And, and that was a good thing for me for, for a long time. And I, I loved everything about running. I loved it. You know, and I never thought I would, but, but I experienced something a couple of summers ago that I didn't also anticipate because of my inexperience in this sport. I experienced what call, is called runner's burnout, Maybe some of you have been in runner's burnout for a really long time, okay? And it's time to get going again. But I, I kind of started, I started feeling whereas I was always excited to get going and be maybe in a race or get training for a race or doing this and that. I got to where it started becoming just this chore and this major drudgery. And I got to where I was like not looking forward to it at all, you know, and I started kind of rather than loving it, I started hating the thing that I actually was loving, but I kept doing it. I kept kind of going through the motions, and I would, I, and it was interesting, and, and you know, I, I, I really, I started just really getting discouraged, because in, especially in the summer months, my times were getting worse, and I didn't realize that the humidity and all that was going to affect this, and I always felt like I should be getting better and better every single time, and I was pushing myself as hard as I could every single time, and I had this burnout that was happening, and I finally realized the source of of my burnout and the loss of joy in my running. And I would caved into this urge to become very legalistic about it. Everything was always based upon my performance because that's kind of the mindset I take on things. I can be that way. And if my performance was not as good as the last time, then I felt really down on myself. And I let, I, you know, and I'd be like, you're slacking off. You're, you're, you know, and I'd be like this. And I'd start, I got really, I got really, it was all based upon my performance and became this great drudgery. And I started talking to this other guy who was a lot more experienced in running. And I was talking to him about this. And I was like, have you gone through this? What? And he's like, yeah, I've been through that. Let me tell you what your problem is. He said, you need to put the watch away for a while. Everything's driven based on your times. And you, and you said it's become this big legalistic chore. Put the watch away. Throw your shoes on. And when you feel like going for a jog, don't push yourself. Just go. Just start getting back to doing what it was that you used to love to do. And you know what? It worked. And I started loving it again. 
also October came and it started getting cooler and that made it easier, right? Okay. But that worked. It, it was all driven on performance. It was all driven on this. It became this drudgery. You know, and I still train for races and I still push myself and I still compete. And I know there has to be times where you are disciplined, but I've also learned to find a good balance of discipline and just also just having a good time doing what you love. And you know what? Some of you are probably like, man, this guy's a psycho talking about running like this. And, but maybe if it's not running, maybe it's for you. It's something else that you used to just love and be passionate about. But somewhere along the line, you know, you just kind of lost that passion. You lost that kind of love for what it was. It became a, a drudgery. And I think this happens so often in the Christian walk. We start off so in love with Jesus Christ and in love with what he's done and who he is and, and, and you know, just who he is. And some, somehow this urge towards legalism in our walk can sl- sneak in if we're not careful. And this can be a huge joy robber. We have to safeguard against it. We have to get back to the things that we were doing it first. In fact, the book of Revelation talks about that. So you'll notice Paul starts talking about religious stuff and religious people. He gets very sarcastic. He gets abrasive and even confrontational whenever he's dealing with hyper-religious, kind of the spiritual policeman for everyone else. And by the way, if you look at Jesus' life, you'll see that Jesus got most angry with what individuals? The hyper-religious spiritual police for everyone else. The Pharisees, right? So I think, I think we've got a, a good examples that are going on in Jesus and Paul here really being agitated by this. But look at what he's going to say. Paul's going to instruct these Christians to safeguard their joy by watching out for those kinds of people. Look at what he says in verse 2. Watch out for those, everybody say, what does it say? Those dogs. I had to do some serious research here because I'm a dog lover and I thought, Paul, what are you doing here? You know, surely this, the root word, it must actually be cats or something, you know, watch out. I don't like cats. Many of you know, watch out for those, but it's not, it's dogs, those dogs, those people. And notice how he describes it. And he's describing religious people, those people who do, what does it say? Evil, who do evil. All right. Those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. We'll come back to that here in a second. He calls, he calls, uh, he calls these guys dogs. These aren't the, the cute little dogs that we might have in our house or the dogs that we love that are cuddly house pets. When Paul was talking about these kinds of dogs, the dogs he was talking about were ones that everyone understood. They were scavengers. They were strays. They were viewed as unclean. They were a physical threat to people who were walking around. Nobody owned them. These dogs were just out there scavenging and, and they, you know, so people understood this. They were thought of as the lowest kind of animal of that time. And, and I know you're probably, if you're a cat lover, you're probably taking great pleasure in the fact that I'm having to say this about the dogs. All right. Do we have cat lovers? Any cat lovers? Raise your hands. We are praying for you. I'm praying for you. Okay. I'm kidding. But he says, you dogs, he says, he says, you, he, ta- he calls them dogs. And he says, you got to watch out for them because they're always lurking, right? They're always lurking kind of like this for the cat lovers. They're always lurking. And then, it, you know, or maybe it's more like this. They're always lurking, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Maybe you understand that verse more now, right? Okay, I will fear no evil. And he, and he uses these, this word dogs. He calls, and who is he calling dogs? And now, this was really interesting because the people that he's talking to were the Philippians and they were Gentiles and the Jews often called Gentiles, non-Jews. Do you know what they called them? Dogs. 
But Paul, who is a Jew, is saying to them, watch out for these Judaizers. They're called Judaizers. Watch out for those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh is what he's going to say. And, and he's going to say, watch out for those people, those hyper-religious ones that are going to come in and backload the gospel. They were called Judaizers. Who were they? They were these Jews that would come in, and after Paul would plant a church and get it up and running, and Paul would leave and go plant another church, the Judaizers would come in and say things like, you know what Paul was saying was pretty good. It's pretty good, but if you're really going to be saved, you've got to become like us Jews. You've got to not only believe in Jesus Christ, now you've got to become like we who are Jews. And, and so he say, they're saying, listen, Gentile, you should have been born a Jew, which they really couldn't do anything about that in the first place, right? And secondly, they would go into these places and they would say, and, and now I'm just going to say it the way that it, I'm just going to say it, okay? They would go in and say to these Gentile men, they would say, if you're going to become a Christian and become like us, you're now as an adult man going to need to be circumcised. Okay, this was not a part of their culture. This, and so this was a big deal. Can you imagine? That was not a seeker-friendly message. I'm just saying, okay? They're going and saying these kinds of things. And so Paul says back to these Judaizers, and remember, he's a Jew. He's saying to the Judaizers, you're the bunch of dogs. You're calling these Gentiles dogs and unclean. And so the Philippians would have been laughing as they read this letter. And the Judaizers would have been highly offended by Paul calling them dogs. Paul went on to say, hey, listen, they can, they can cut themselves and slice and dice themselves all they want. It's only mutilating their flesh. And he's saying, what he's saying is the thing that makes you right with God is not the external things that are happening. It's not this religious activity. Paul's saying if you want to maintain your joy, you must learn to resist legalism and watch out for the hyper-religious ones who would come upon you and seek to impose their rules, their man-made rules upon you. And when a person enters into a legalistic mindset as a believer, joy is right out the window. It's right out the window. In verses 3 and 4, look at what he says. He's going to keep bringing it strong. Check this out. For we, now Paul's including himself with these Gentile believers, for we who worship by the Spirit of God, how are we to worship? What is the Father seeking? Those who worship in spirit and in truth, right? Are the ones who are truly circumcised, whether it's physical or not, is what he's saying. Now read the next part with me out loud. For we do what? We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. Isn't that good? We rely on what Christ has already done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, Paul says this, I have even more. Paul says, I have a a resume for religious success that you wouldn't believe. And he's saying, no, I don't put my confidence in that. We rely instead on what Christ has done. And if you read any of Paul's other letters or writings, you'll find him reiterating over and over again that what really matters to God is not a circumcision of the flesh or outside religious activity, but what matters to God is a circumcision of the heart. Where when a person places their faith in Christ, God cuts away the, the old heart and gives us a brand new heart. And that's, that's the real circumcision. And it comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Paul is saying, 
I don't put any confidence in the flesh or what I can do or how I can perform. Even though he says, if anybody had reasons for it, I might have it. But he says, you know, but that's not my source of joy. I never found joy in this. Paul says we have this temptation to slip into legalism, and we see this all the time as a pastor, and I'm talking to people about their spiritual walk, and, and, and you know, we might be talking about, about what's going on in their life, or maybe they don't know the Lord yet, and they talk to me, and I'm like, well, how do you think you're made right with God? What do you think? Well, I know I've got to, I know I've got to be better, and I'm going to be better in 2015. I'm going to do this, you know, or I've got to achieve this, and, and maybe then I'll come to God or whatever, you know, but I've got to take care of this first, or, or maybe a lot of times we think this way as Christians. Well, I've got to go through the motions of doing all the church stuff, and then maybe God will really love me this year. If I can go through the motions of doing this and that, or, or you know, and there's like this spiritual scorecard with God where, well, I came to church this week, so that's got to be two points here, okay? And uh, I gave a little bit in the offering. Well, that's got to be two more. I'm, I'm living it up this week. You know, God's really going to love me this week. Oh, I gossiped this week. All right, I just lost what I did. Like it's kind of going back and forth. And we keep this spiritual scorecard with God And what Paul is saying is resist the temptation for legalism because legalism, where it is, there's no joy. But you know what I find? Where grace abounds, there is joy. Where grace abounds, there's joy in the heart. And Paul did this next thing. He says, all right, you want to play the outward game? You want to to compare uh, religious resumes? Let's look at this. I'll run religious laps around you is what he says. Look in verse 5. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I'm a Jew of Jews is what he's saying. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law. I did everything right. But Paul is saying there's not one of you that could come close to that. But you know what he's saying? That's not where I found joy. There was no joy in it. There was no joy until I met the person of Jesus Christ. And you know, he's going to go on and say, none of that stuff matters to God. None of that outward stuff matters to God. It only matters to people who are looking to see if it's in your life, right? And, 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 and the fruit inspector, so to speak, and, and resist the temptation to be legalistic. Religious activity is not a source of joy, I started thinking about this whole idea of legalism and why it becomes so prevalent for many of us in our Christian churches. And I think it's because we just really struggle with the idea of God's grace. And we really just want to add. We want to do something. We want to help. And sometimes the motives are pure, but we got to realize we will never measure up to the perfect standard. And we got to realize that the motive has got to be different. We don't do it to gain his acceptance in our life. We do it when we serve him because he's already accepted us. And we serve him because we love him. We do it because we want to, not because we have to. What are examples? How does legalism creep in? It can creep in through rituals. Let me give you real, real quick. Rituals. Paul said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was a religious ritual there. There's nothing wrong with rituals in and of themselves. They can be very meaningful when the motive behind them is right. But when you're counting on the rituals to actually be the thing that makes you right with God because you did it, the motive's wrong. And it becomes legalistic. 
can be, become another thing that's legalistic is this idea of just becoming very religious. Paul said, I was a Pharisee. What he's saying was, I was hyper-religious. And a lot of people will substitute their Christianity with churchianity. They think, well, I, if I go to Sunday school, or if I, if I give here, if I do this, well, then, then, you know, finally I'll be accepted. And real Christianity is about what God has already done. It's not about our performance. And then rules. Paul said, I was a Pharisee. I understood the rules. And the Pharisees had 619 rules they had to keep. Their rules had rules, right? This is what it was like. And there were all kinds of crazy rules. And Paul's saying, I could, nobody could ever keep up with this. Paul's saying, when you slip into legalism, you will inevitably lose your joy. Resist it. And some of you, maybe your joy has been gone in your walk with God for some time because in some kind of manner, you have slipped into a mechanical mode about your faith in God. And you've slipped into maybe a legalistic kind of mindset. Maybe it's, let me give you some examples. Maybe it's been that way about reading your Bible. Whereas you used to love to read the word of God and you used to just want to go to it, but maybe, maybe it's become such a systematic thing and there's nothing wrong with systems, okay? We need them and it's good to have spiritual disciplines and discipline means you press through even when you don't feel like it. But maybe even become, reading your Bible has become so legalistic, you feel like you have to do it and you've lost that, I want to do it. Or maybe coming even to church, you feel like you have to come, not because you want to, but you feel like you just have to, you know? Or maybe serving in whatever ministry you serve in, you do it because you feel like you have to. It's not because you're just in love with Jesus and you love people. That's really what he's going to get into next. He's going to say, you got to refocus on what really matters to God. What do we know really matters to God, EVC? What do we say all the time? Very simply, our relationship with him and what else? Our relationship with each other. That's what really counts. That's what really counts. And he's going to say all that other stuff, it's it's not worth anything. He's going to call it something here in a minute. We'll see. Look at verse 7. Paul's going to say, we've been distracted. We can get distracted. He's going to say, I once thought these things, all that external stuff, that it was valuable. But now I consider those things, what? Worthless. Now read the next part with me. Because of what Christ has, what? Done. He's already done it. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of, what does it say, church? Knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Knowing him in a real way. For this sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as, what's the word? Garbage. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Do you know what he's talking about? A relationship with Christ. Not all the religious activity. Paul says, look, these things I once thought were so important and would bring me joy. I realized they didn't. And the only thing that brings me joy is actually knowing Jesus Christ. Knowing him. The word know here is the same word. It's the word gnosko. And it's the same word that actually in the Hebrew, it's, it, it's the word yada. And it means this. It's the same kind of manner in which a husband knows a wife. Knows in that kind of manner. You really know them. You don't just know intellectual thoughts about them. You know that person. 
You know them. It's kind of like this. I think about it this way. How many of you, whenever you're younger and you'd go out and you'd see like your, your teacher at the store buying groceries, it would kind of just freak you out, right? You'd be like, oh my goodness, my teacher outside of the classroom, what are you doing here? You know, and they're like, I'm buying groceries. And as, a, as pastors, that kind of happens to us sometimes, all right? Because you're like, you guys are pastors, right? Okay. And, and, I, and that happens. And, and sometimes when we were around people, sometimes they, they, are uncomfortable because we're pastors, right? Okay. And as if we're not very normal, average guys. And if that wasn't evidenced by the yellow tights last week, I don't know when it would be right. Amen, Randy. Okay. All right. We're very normal. So we'll be out and maybe we'll be out shopping or whatever. And, and sometimes so, someone will see me and they'll be like, pastor Bart, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm getting milk, you know, like everyone else. And because this week I did not have the time to, to pray over our food to just magically appear. I had to go to the grocery store because I was spending most of my time teaching my children how to walk on water this week, you know. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> it's because they don't really know me. <laughs> Some of you who really know me, like my wife who was in the second service and know me like my daughter and my son and my mother and my father and many of you that do know me, you know, he's a very, very average and sub-average kind of guy, right? Okay. And knowing God, it means this, you know him. It's not just knowing about him. You know him. And that's what he says, this value of knowing God, knowing him in a real way. All right, and this is powerful. Paul says all that other stuff. I consider it as garbage. Now, the translators are actually being very kind here because the word is actually, it's actually, and some will translate it this way, but it's in the original language, and this may offend some of you religious types, but it's, it's the word scuvula, and it means this. It means it's slang for dung is what it is, okay? Figure that out on your own. It's slang for dung. It's not just dung. It's dung with a capital D, okay, is what Paul says. All that stuff, this is how strongly Paul felt about all that other stuff. He says it's this. It's excrement is what he says compared to the value, the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ. You know, that's the only place that word is ever used in the scriptures. That's how strongly Paul felt about all that other stuff. He says it's nothing. It's garbage. It's, it's this. Now look at what he's going to say. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, and if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, listen to how you are made right with God. It's not on how you perform or how many times you come to church or, or what. Look at what he says. I become righteous through, what does it say? Through faith in Christ. You know, when you believe in Jesus Christ, his righteousness is transferred to you and your sin is transferred to him. That's, that's, that's what happens. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. In other words, my right standing with God is not through something I can externally achieve, but it comes by believing through faith in Jesus Christ and receiving the gift of his salvation that comes by his grace. That's what Paul says, and let me wrap up with this verse. Look what he says. I want to know Christ. 
I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, God has a power for me to live on that is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where our joy, the source of our joy comes in knowing Christ. What if this upcoming year, what if the the, the most important thing in your life became this? It's getting back to the place of your first love with Jesus Christ. I want to ask you just to bow your heads with me. What if it didn't become about all the things that you just want to maybe achieve on a, on a set? Of, there's nothing wrong with goals or anything, okay? Don't get me wrong. But what if, what if the most important thing became my relationship with God? That knowing Christ was the ultimate source of this kind of peace and joy that's being talked about. If you've never trusted Jesus... This has just been, as you follow the scriptures here, Paul's so very clear that we are not saved based upon what we do. We're not saved based upon how we perform or how religious we, we become. We are saved by grace through faith in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you have never believed in Jesus as your Savior... What if this next year was incredibly different for you because today was the day that you began a relationship with God? You didn't just say, I just want to know more about him just intellectually, but today you got to know him in relationship. If you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, I want to invite you right now. I want you to know that God has been pursuing you all of your life. And that he loves you. And that he wants to be in relationship with you so much. And he proved it by sending Jesus into this world. And we just celebrated that at Christmas. He came because you matter to him. If you've never trusted Jesus, you might just pray something like this to him now. Say, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life and to be my savior. I believe that you are who you say you are. I may not understand every single detail about everything, but I, I feel you drawing me to you. And Lord Jesus, I want to accept your gift of salvation. I want to give you my life. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Forgive me of my sins. I know you've already paid for them, but now in faith, Lord, I receive your forgiveness. I believe you, Lord, have been raised from the dead and that you are God. And I receive you today. Maybe you have been a Christian for a number of years now. But somewhere along the way, you maybe caved into some legalism. Maybe your walk with Christ has become kind of like I described. Maybe it's kind of that drudgery. And you've lost your joy and you've lost just that peace that you had. You lost that excitement of knowing Christ. Maybe you're like the Ephesian church where, where John wrote and Jesus said, you've done all these works and I see your works. I see you working hard and I... 
I applaud you for that. But he says, this I have against you. You've lost your first love. And maybe you would just begin to to seek to fall in love with Jesus and who he is all over again. Maybe your prayer today would be, Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done for me. Thank you that it's already done, that it's paid in full. And Lord, I ask you to renew my heart for you today. Lord, forgive me where I've maybe turned it into a legalistic kind of thing. Lord, I want to just fall in love with you again and who you are. Thank you for your love. Help me to rediscover your love for me and your grace and all that it means. I want that to be the source of my joy. Father, I do thank you, Lord, for this word in Philippians. Thank you for the example of Paul. May we walk out of here today, Lord, understanding the true source is found in knowing you deeper. And it's in Jesus' holy name that I pray. Amen.